Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we pray your guidance, your blessing upon us tonight as we read and study your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding that we might see how these things which were spoken to Israel in the Old Testament times also apply to our times today, that we ourselves might humble ourselves before you repent of any sins in our life and look to you for mercy and forgiveness in our Lord Jesus, and that we might speak your word to others that they too might hear and believe and look to the Lord Jesus for mercy. We pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and put up uh, a copy of the text for tonight. And what I'm putting up is from Kretzmann's popular commentary, which is now online. Used to have to buy at a four set. I uh, have it, but it's now online and available for anybody to read without paying for it. Uh, what it does have, it has the King James text and then his explanation uh, as you go through verse by verse. And it's, it's, I found it, I find found this section pretty difficult to understand, but I, I find his explanation uh, very helpful. So I think I will just read from there tonight. But before we do, and I don't mean to uh, confuse anybody, but I'm going to read uh, from the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 28. And the reason I read this is because uh, God already told uh, the children of Israel what would happen uh, in regard to them if they kept his covenant or didn't keep his covenant. And so I'm going to read to you from Deuteronomy 28 first, and then we'll come back here to Hosea 7. Uh, God here says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord, your, the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. 
and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. And then at verse 15 comes the warning if they don't listen to God's word, if they turn aside into idolatry. But if it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you're destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. And your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be, to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beast of the earth and no one shall strike or shall frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, and with the itch, from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart, and you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall only be, you shall be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but shall not gather its grapes. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you shall have no one to rescue them. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long, and there shall be no strength in your hand. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only continually oppressed and crushed continually, or only oppressed and crushed continually. You shall be driven mad because of the sight, of, sight which your eyes see. Uh, and, and it continues on for quite a ways. Uh, speaking of the curse which would come upon the people if they turned aside from following the Lord and turned back into idolatry and disobeyed the commandments and disregarded the commandments of the Lord. And of course, that brings us to Hosea 
chapter 7, where we see God sending his prophet Hosea to warn the people of the judgments which are going to come uh, because they had done this very thing. They had turned aside into idolatry. Uh, They worshiped Baal and Asheroth and and other pagan gods of the nations around them. Instead of worshiping and serving the Lord, uh, they worshiped these idols. And instead of obeying the commandments of the Lord, they turned aside and, you know, they did what was right in their own eyes, what they thought was good and right and not what what God required of them. And uh, what we're going to read tonight in Hosea chapter 7 certainly applied to the northern kingdom of Israel, but it certainly also applies to our own country and many countries in the world today uh, because we're doing exactly the same thing as is described here. And God's judgment is coming upon us and upon other nations of the world uh, because of it. Uh, I will say that uh, tonight I'd like to go through chapters 7 through 9. I don't know if we'll make it that far, uh, but there's not a lot of good news in it. It gets kind of discouraging to see the, the warnings of judgment, the warnings of judgment and the description of their sins. Uh, but it's important to look at it to see why it is that God judged Israel. He said by Moses already in Deuteronomy, if they did this, this would this is what would happen. And they did it, and this is what God says is going to happen, and it did happen to Israel. And, of course, the same warning applies to us. If we turn aside from following the Lord, uh, we turn to idolatry, to putting other things before God, we disregard his word, uh, these very same kinds of judgments will come upon our nation, our land, our people. Uh, and there will be terrible suffering, and yet, you know, in our in our darkness, our people don't recognize why this is happening, and really they need to read Hosea and the other prophets to see why it is that these things are taking place. And so we look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. When I would have healed Israel pointing out that, you know, the Lord attempted to remove their corruption. He was trying to heal them. Uh, It says, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered, uh, indicating that, you know, their their sin became openly known. Uh, And it says, and the wickedness of Samaria, for they commit falsehood. Uh, And this made it impossible for them, as it explains here, for them to really, you know, to get along with each other. No one could trust uh, anyone because, you know, their wickedness uh, and their falsehood. It speaks of the thief coming in and the troop of robbers spoileth without. Uh, So, you know, the thief breaks in your house and steals. And if you're outside on the road, uh, you might get robbed and people take your goods out that, out, out there on the road. And of course, this is happening in our own our own land today, you know, uh, you read more and more of, you know, home invasions and, you know, suddenly somebody knocks down the front door and comes in and holds people at gunpoint and robs, uh, robs them in their home, uh, sometimes hurting and killing people or harming them in other ways, uh, many times just taking goods, or you hear of all the carjackings in the cities where, you know, people will stop at a stoplight and somebody comes up with a gun and throws them out and 
takes off with their car and with their goods, sometimes with their children in the back seat. Uh, and so the same kind of things are happening here. And it points out, you know, because of this, no one could really be sure of their life. It says, and they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. And so God points out that his people didn't even consider that all their sins, all their wickedness uh, was open to God. God knew it. You know, many times, even today, we somehow think that, you know, nobody will know, nobody will be harmed, and we can do this or we can do that, and God does not see. Well, we need to realize that nothing is hidden from God's eyes, and God remembers uh, every deed. It's, you know, everything we do is known and recorded uh, in the book of God's remembrances. And the only way to have that removed uh, is through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus. And uh, it says, their own doings have beset them about, you know, so as mountains closing in from every side, uh, their own wickedness is closing in on them. And God says, you know, they're before his face. Uh, God can't ignore the wickedness of his people because it's right in his face. And often it is done in stubborn rebellion against the Lord God so that, you know, people make it very plain that they are rejecting God and his word. And think about our own people today. You know, right in God's face, we reject, you know, as a, as a people, not as individuals, hopefully, but as a people, our people reject, reject God. They reject his commandments. Uh, they, you know, openly endorse things that are clearly contrary to God's word and his commandments, and they do it right in God's face so that God cannot ignore it. God will have to judge. And of course, that judgment is coming upon our land. When you read in Romans chapter 1, you see that because of this rejection of the truth, that God turns them over to their wickedness and things get worse until ultimately his final judgment comes. And so it says that they make glad with their wickedness, uh, the king glad with their wickedness and the princes with their lies. Uh, and so it speaks of the people you know, making the rulers happy with their wickedness and their lies. Uh, and, it, and it shows that, you know, though even the leaders, those who should be governing in order to promote what is good and right and punish the evildoers are so corrupt themselves that they are promoting the evildoers and punishing those who are seeking to do what's good and right. And again, in our own land, uh, our own rulers you know, are on the same path where uh, if you speak against homosexuality or same-sex marriage, uh, you might end up in trouble. If you uh, refuse to do a wedding cake or something like that for a same-sex couple, you might end up sued and in court. And when you win one, then you end up back in court again, uh, like the baker in Colorado. Uh, and I can't help but think of, you know, what's uh, coming out with, uh, you know, without endorsing Fox News or anything like that, what's coming out with Fox News on the uh, Capitol tapes 
or videos, you know, 4,000 some hours of video from the Capitol, and it shows an entirely different story, at least what's been shown so far, an entirely different story of what's going on than what we've been told all this time. And now we have both Republicans and Democrats uh, trying to, you know, to stop the release of this because they don't want the truth to come out. They don't want their corruption to be revealed. Uh, verse four says that they are they are all adulterers, speaking of their spiritual condition, that instead of being faithful to the Lord God as the bride of Christ or as the, the bride, God's bride in this world, uh, they turn aside into idolatry and also in their moral condition, also physically by participating in all sorts of uh, sexual immorality in their, their worship. Uh, it describes them, as it goes on here, as an oven heated by the baker who ceaseth from raising, that is from you know heating the oven further after he hath kneaded the dough until it be leavened. Uh, in other words, it explains here that you know the people are so inflamed with their wickedness uh, that you know it's like a baker's oven, which was already at such a high temperature that he didn't even have to add anything else uh, to make it warm uh, while the the yeast fermented and and the bread was finished. Uh, it speaks in verse five of the, of the in the day of the king, which could describe his birthday or possibly the day of his inauguration. Uh, the princes have made him sick with bottles of wine. Uh, and talking probably about drunkenness here. Uh, and then he stretched out his hand with scorners. In other words, he, he rules and accepts the, the counsel of those who scorn and refuse to believe the truth. Uh, accepting, you know, their company with a ready spirit. Uh, so that everything which men hold sacred was dragged into the dust, uh, Kretzmann explains, you know, so that, and, and we see this going on in our own country, all the things that we as a nation for uh, the first 200 years of our country held sacred is now thrown in the dust. And the, you know, the new modern theories where we are, the critical race theory, uh, stuff where now we are condemning uh, everything that our ancestors did, uh, condemning it for uh, being as being evil because of you know their the way I guess the way they treated uh, American Indians and also uh, you know they just found a variety of reasons for slavery and so even today uh, people are condemned for what happened you know a hundred and some years ago uh just because you know they might be the same race uh or speak the same same language or have the same uh background so uh, we see the same things going on today uh says they've made ready their heart like an oven whilst they lie in wait uh this is speaking about uh you know, they're the fuel for an oven. In other words, it's heating. They've, uh, as he explains here, that, that they have brought their hearts into their cunning 
And then it describes it as their baker sleepeth all the night in the morning. It burneth as a flaming fire. In other words, uh, the flame gets out of control uh, overnight. And so it speaks about how this just escalates and uh, the passion of idolatry uh, burns without. And uh, so it speaks of their, you know, they go to bed and they think about evil and they get up and and uh, they're all the more eager to do these evil plans and carry them out. Uh, it says that they're all hot as an oven. Uh, and Kretzman explains, a flame with the various passions to which they have yielded themselves and have devoured their judges. Uh, their kings are fallen. Uh, this, as he mentions here, uh, at the end of the kingdom of Israel, there were a number of kings who served very short time, uh, often being murdered or carried away. Uh, so it speaks about their kings being fallen. Uh, Zechariah, Shalom, Manahem, Pekahiah, and Pekah uh, followed each other in this kingdom in quick succession. And uh, continue down. There's none among them that calleth unto me. So, you know, the rulers don't call upon the Lord, nor do the people. Uh, for even the great calamities in which they found themselves did not cause them to repent. And if we think about our day-to-day, -day, you know, they, we keep hearing how, you know, climate change is causing all these problems. There's more storms, there's unusual weather, uh, and people credit it to climate change and don't see that God's judgments are beginning to fall upon the people for their rejection of him. Speaks of Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. In other words, instead of remaining separate for the, and the Lord's people, uh, Ephraim, and Ephraim is used because he's the, Ephraim is the largest tribe of Israel. It's used for, uh, speaking of the entire northern kingdom, Instead of driving out uh, their enemies or destroying their enemies as God commanded, uh, they mixed with the people, ended up intermarrying with the people, ended up serving their idols. Uh, so Ephraim is described as a cake not turned. Uh, and Kretzman explains it, you know, like a pancake burned on the, on the lower side and the upper side's not yet done. And so it makes, makes it, Un, unedible or you know can't can't really eat it because it's burnt burnt on one side and raw on the other and strangers have devoured its strength uh, through all the wars uh, enemies kept rising up against them you know the, the the nations that they let live among them would uh, fight against them and then nations from outside came and uh, devoured his strength and yet he knows it not. He doesn't recognize uh, the judgment that's coming. Uh, it says, yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knoweth not. And so, you know, the evidences of old age coming to the end of life uh, is revealed by, you know, the hair turning gray, and yet Israel doesn't recognize it. And so what it's saying here is that all these are signs of God's judgment coming and of, of the end of Israel, and yet you know, he doesn't recognize it. And 
This, of course, is happening in our own nation, among our own people. Uh, there are all kinds of indications that uh, our nation is set to fall and judgments are coming. Uh, instead of, you know, having the, the world indebted to us, uh, think of our national debt, that we owe our enemies. Uh, unbelievable amounts of money. I can't even uh, imagine you know, what a, a trillion dollars is, much less what our entire national debt is uh, and how much we are continuing to go down in regard to uh, finances. And so there is just so much evidence here of, you know, the judgments of God coming, and yet the people don't recognize it. They always say that, you know, America's the greatest nation on earth and, you know, like nothing's going to ever happen to us. Uh, and don't realize how close we are uh, to something happening. Uh, people don't realize how easy it would be for, you know, our activities in Ukraine to prompt uh, a nuclear war and to bring about uh, total destruction for our people and our land. And if it happened, it would, you know, God would be just in judging our nation. Uh, it says, and the pride of Israel testifieth to his face, and they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. And so, you know, Israel's proud, uh, testifies to his own face, and yet people are not turning back to the Lord God. Uh, they don't seek him, even though all these things are begin beginning to happen. And the same, of course, is true in our land. Then in verse 11, it tells us that Ephraim also is like a silly dove without heart. One, you know, which doesn't realize uh, the traps that set for him, the nets that are placed for it. It says they call to Egypt, they go to Assyria, and uh, when they go or when they shall go, I will spread my net upon them. And... It says, I will bring them down as the fowls of the heaven. I will chastise them as their congregation hath heard. And so God here describes them like a, a silly dove without much sense, uh, doesn't notice the traps that are set for it, the nets that are there to catch it. And they turn to Egypt, which is where they were in bondage. They go to Assyria. And don't realize that those very nations are going to be the ones that help bring them down. And so they turn to these nations for help in their trouble instead of turning to God. And these nations are actually the ones which bring about their destruction. Uh, and so God says, you know, when they go, uh, God's going to spread his net upon them. They're going to still going to be judged by God. He's going to use these foreign nations in order to carry out his judgments. Uh, he says, I'll bring them down as the fowls of heaven, like the birds of heaven, uh, dragging them down into the net of exile. And they would be carried away by the Assyrians. Uh, I will chastise them as their congregation hath heard. And we read part of that this uh, just a little bit ago. And from Deuteronomy, God had said what would happen. And of course, the prophets continued to warn them what would happen. Verse 13, woe unto them, for they have fled from me. Uh, so they have fled from, you know, the rock of their salvation, from the Lord God. 
uh, destruction unto them because they have transgressed against me. And so the reason destruction is coming because they have disobeyed the Lord. He says, though I have redeemed them, and he did redeem them from bondage in Egypt, from all their other enemies, yet they have spoken lies against me, uh, both by their words and by turning elsewhere for help. When trouble came, instead of turning to the Lord, they turned to idols and they turned to foreign nations for, for help. And he says, they've not cried unto me with their heart. And so, and, and of course it goes on when they howled upon their beds. Uh, so even though they are saying prayers and, you know, howling or calling upon their beds for help, they're not really turned back to the Lord. They really don't, they're not praying in faith, uh, looking to the Lord God for help and deliverance. Uh, it says that they assemble themselves for corn and wine or for grain and wine. And, you know, their, their basic thought is, you know, to fill their stomachs. And yet they rebel against God, even though God had said that if they turned away from him, uh, that their, their uh, wine and their grain or their corn would fail. Uh, and though I have bound and strengthened their arms, in other words, God has given them their strength. He's blessed them, yet they do imagine, yet do they imagine mischief against me. In other words, they do evil by turning away from the Lord. Uh, I think verse 16, you know, they return, but not to the Most High. In other words, they repent to a degree, but they don't turn back to the Lord God in faith. Now, they're described like a deceitful bow. Uh, Kretzmann here describes it, you know, one that has a string that has lost its tenseness. Uh, a deceitful bow, uh, I don't know a lot about bows, but if you have a bow that has uh, one of the uh, limbs is weak, uh, it's not going to shoot an arrow in the, you know, in the, in the direction of the trajectory you expect. Uh, and so, you know, the people are to compare to a deceitful bow that you, you know, you, you're aiming one way, but it, it goes another. And then it talks about their princes falling by the sword for the rage of their tongue. And of course this happened to their rulers and, uh, they, look to Egypt for help, but it ended up being, as it says here, their derision of the land of Egypt because the Egyptians themselves uh, helped bring them down. And I know this is a, a difficult chapter. I was going to see before we go into chapter eight, if any of you have any, any questions or comments about it. I'm just hoping that you will see uh, how much this describes the situation in our own time where people have turned aside to their own ideas of God instead of to the God of the Bible. People have turned aside and are trusting in their nation and rulers and the wickedness just grows. And even though God's judgments are beginning to come, the people don't recognize them, don't see where all of this leads. And, uh, 
we we certainly seem to be on the same path. Anybody have any questions or comments? Okay. Well, in, in chapter 8, it begins by saying, set the trumpet to thy mouth. And the trumpet is used to usually to give a warning uh, or it's an alert. Uh, a trumpet often was a ram's horn, uh, shofar uh, type of, uh, but it was a, a way to, to give signals, to give warnings. And of course, God's prophets uh, gave warnings to the people what was going to come. Uh, but then it says, he shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord. Uh, and the Assyrians uh, did invade with the swiftness of an eagle uh, coming in upon, you know, unexpected because an eagle comes down out of the sky and, you know, is, is there. And, you know, the animal usually never expects it until the eagle is there and has sunk in his talons. And, of course, the Assyrians came. You know, they looked to the Assyrians for help. And the Assyrians came and carried them away captive and dispersed them to all their other nations that were under their uh, under their kingdom. Uh, Assyria, uh, Nineveh was the capital. Uh, I think they're, I think the kingdom, if you were going to look at the kingdom, I, I believe it's the Akkadian uh, kingdom is the Assyrian kingdom. I have to look again to see if I'm correct, if I'm rem remembering right. Uh, but it also tells us why uh, this was going to take place. Uh, as it says here, because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. Uh, and so the reason these judgments were coming is because they had not lived according to the covenant that God established with them. And I read parts of that to you from Deuteronomy 28. Uh, they had trespassed or broken God's law, uh, his commandments and the things that he taught them in the in the book of Exodus and as well as Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, they transgressed or trespassed against it. Uh, and of course, we know that God in his mercy uh, desired to live among his people, but you know, by their behavior, they made that impossible. How could God live among them as their God when instead of worshiping him, they're worshiping and serving other gods and going to other gods for help and going to other nations for help instead of going to the Lord God. It says, while God, according to his mercy, would like to live among the midst or in the midst of his people, they make his presence impossible that by the rebellious behavior. Then it says, Israel shall cry unto me, uh, saying, my God, we know thee. Uh, but it's not a true knowledge or relationship with God. Uh, they claim to know God, but they really don't know God. I think of uh, what, what Jesus says in, for example, Matthew chapter 25, when he speaks about the judgment, uh, the describing it as, uh, the nations being gathered, it's, it starts at verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them 
one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When you when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the, the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. And it, and it goes through, you know, the same thing. And they'll answer, uh, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? They don't recognize it. And uh, Jesus points out, you know, very plainly that when they didn't do it to one of the least of these, they didn't do it for him. Uh, we can also look at Matthew chapter 15, I believe it is. No, maybe that's not right. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus, at verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so many people claim to know God, uh, and they claim to know God because, you know, after all, they were baptized and raised in the Lutheran church or another church, and... Uh, you know, they were taught about God. They had this head knowledge of God, but they didn't really trust in him. And, you know, they really didn't know him intimately in the sense of knowing his love and his mercy toward them, trusting in him, relying upon him. And so, you know, as it says here, uh, Israel's going to cry, you know, God, we know thee, because, you know, they had the Old Testament scriptures, and uh, they had heard about God and how he led them out of Egypt and brought them to Mount Sinai and then through the wilderness and into the land. But because they didn't trust in him, all their worship was just external. You know, it's like today, you know, people saying, well, God, we know you because, you know, we've heard about you and we've been baptized in your name. Uh, and we come to church and we, you know, sing the liturgy and uh, we sit down and listen to the sermons and we do this every week. So we know you, but it's just external. They don't trust and have faith and therefore they don't truly know the Lord. It says that Israel has cast off the thing that is good. Uh, and it is so much like 
you know, our nation today. Israel had what is good. They had God's law. And we often think of law, you know, and the commandments of God, and we look at, you know, the law is bad and the gospel is good. Well, that's not so. The law is good and right. The law reveals the will of God. Uh, so the law is good. Uh, the problem is us. We can't keep the law because of our sinful heart. And so we look to the gospel because in the gospel, God promises to forgive our sins for Jesus' sake and to restore us to fellowship with him. This does not make the law bad. Well, Israel had the law of God, and the law not only revealed his commandments, the law is a, a word which spoke of the Old Testament scriptures, uh, especially the first five books, and they had this, and they cast it off. Uh, they got rid of what is good and uh, ended up loathing the covenant that God has had established with them uh, to be his God and they would be his people. Uh, and so they turned aside from his commandments. Uh, they rejected him as their creator and maker. And uh, they cast it off. And of course, it brought evil. The enemy shall pursue him. Uh, they have set up kings, but not by me. In other words, they set up kings over them, but it wasn't with God's direction or his consent. Uh, they made princes, and I knew it not. Uh, and, of course, it happened in, in, the north, in the northern kingdom that many came to power by murder, by killing the previous kingdom and king and taking over. Uh, and so... God speaks of them, you know, setting up rulers, but it wasn't by God directing them who to choose and who to set up. Uh, again, much as is going on in our own nation, you know, we elect, uh, and maybe elections are even stolen, uh, depending on, on your thinking about that, uh, and people come to power, uh, but it's not by God. God's not the one who chose them to uh, be the right person to put in power. Uh, he might allow it for the sake of his judgment, but instead of turning to the Lord God for his guidance to put the right people in power, uh, we just go our own way. And, you know, now in many cases, people come to power because they endorse evil and make the people feel good about doing the evil that they, you know, they can continue to do what they, they're doing wrong and they have rulers to defend their position. Uh, when you think about casting off that which is good, uh, think about, again, think about our nation with the evolutionary theory. Uh, we cast off the belief and the teaching that God is the creator of all things. And even though the evolutionary theory has been shown to be full of errors, things that don't work together, things that are impossible, yet people cling to that rather than accepting the truth. And so we've cast off God, we've cast off his commandments, you can't have his commandments at, at schools, you can't uh, speak God's word at schools. And uh, I think of... Uh, a couple of passages. I think of Psalm 2, which 
certainly speaks not only of, you know, those in the Old Testament, but of what's going on today. Why do the nations rage? The people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, literally against the Jehovah, and against his anointed, which is the Christ, saying, let us break their bonds asunder, break them in pieces, and cast away their cords from us. In other words, people want to be free from God and his word so they can do whatever they please uh, without fear of you know, being judged for disobeying uh, the Lord God. Uh, another thing that comes to mind is in the first chapter of Proverbs, and it's also repeated later in Proverbs, but in the first chapter of Proverbs in verse 7, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and so it's it's the foundation of truth and knowledge, how can we expect public schools, which the first thing they do is reject the fear or the respect for God and cast him off and throw him out of the classroom, throw him out of the curriculum, how can we expect them to teach our children anything but idolatry and wickedness. And sad to say, that's what's going on in our land. We've thrown God out, we've thrown out his commandments, and we have nothing but, you know, humanism to put in its place. And so whatever, whatever popular opinion is, that's what is taught to our children and taught repeatedly, and of course, TV and media enforce it again and again and again so that most people think that the wickedness that's going on in the world is perfectly fine and that the Christian who says, you know, this is not right, God is going to judge this, we need to turn from this, uh, that the Christian is narrow-minded and uh, racist and bigoted or whatever, you know, whatever terms they would use against us. So Israel has cast off the thing that is good. Uh, as a result, the enemy shall pursue him. In other words, his enemies are going to come and uh, pursue him. Instead of him standing up against his enemies, he's going to be fleeing in seven ways. Uh, they've set up kings, but not by the Lord. They have made princes. God knew it not. And as it says here, uh, of their silver and their gold have they made them idols uh, that they might be cut off. In other words, they've used their wealth to make idols, and it all is a part of God's judgment. Since they've rejected him, uh, they become foolish and make idols and worship things made with their own hands, and it leads to them being cut off and God's final judgment uh, upon them as a nation. Then he says, Thy calf... O Samaria has cast thee off, or can be translated as rejected, thy calf. Um, if you look back when, when Jeroboam took over as the king of the northern uh, part of Israel, 
the northern tribes, leaving Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, in the south with Judah. Uh, Jeroboam feared that the people would go to Jerusalem to observe the feasts and worship the Lord as uh, they were commanded, and so he built golden calves uh, and said, these are your gods. You go worship and sacrifice there. And so in Bethel and Samaria, he, he builds these calves. And uh, God says, your, your own idol has cast you off. Uh, and, of course, it's going to do them no good. Uh, the, the, the idol that they trust in is going to fail them. Uh, God says, mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere before they attain to innocency? In other words, how long are they going to go on in their sin before they repent and look to the Lord for mercy uh, and seek to follow him? Uh, verse 6, for from Israel was it also uh, that the workmen made it, therefore it is not God. But the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. And so he points out that, you know, the, the calf was made in Israel by workmen. It can't be God. Uh, and that this calf is going to be broken in pieces. Uh, God's judgments are going to come. It says, for they have sown the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. Uh, if you, you know, the Bible says... God will not be mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. And so they've sown the wind and they reap the whirlwind. Uh, instead of sowing the good seed, they sow evil and the evil only gets worse. And the judgment is about to come. I think of uh, Galatians chapter 6 where it speaks about uh, God not being mocked, you reap what you sow. Uh, and it comes in the section where it's talking about uh, walking by the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Uh, it says at verse 6, Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so people reap what they sow. If you sow to the flesh, uh, if you live to gratify the sinful longings of your flesh, uh, you're going to reap the results of that. If you sow to the Spirit by continuing God's Word, by... Uh, continuing to receive the Lord's Supper by uh, continuing to uh, spend time with the Lord in prayer. You sow to the Spirit, do those things that the Spirit of God leads you to do. Uh, you're going to reap uh, from the Spirit uh, spiritual, a stronger spiritual life. You're going to grow. Uh, sometimes it's kind of neglected that it's mentioned together with verse 6. You know, let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Uh, and this is not accidental that it happens to be side by side because those who do not support the preaching and teaching of God's word uh, get what they sow. You know, they get 
part-timers who can't devote themselves to the ministry of the word, to studying and preparing sermons and Bible studies. And so they don't get the preaching and teaching that they should get uh, because they fail to support uh, the preaching and teaching of God's word. And often this happens, not always, but often this happens because, you know, people would rather spend their money on the desires of their flesh, the things that they want to do in life, uh, their earthly goals. And so instead of supporting the ministry and making use of that ministry and making use of the word of God, people devote their money and their energy and their time to worldly things, which, you know, pass away and don't lead to eternal life. Uh, often, even if they're innocent in themselves, uh, they often occupy so much time that uh, they become idolatry and take us away from what's really important. I know I've said this before, but it's one of the blessings of growing older. As you grow older, you realize that your time in this world is growing shorter, and you better devote your time to what's really important and what's going to last for eternity, because all the rest is going to be going to be gone, uh, going to go to someone else or somewhere else or just decay. Uh, it speaks of their sowing, it hath no stock. Uh, the bud shall yield no meal. In other words, the plant yields no spiritual fruit. Uh, and if so be it yield, the strangers shall swallow it up. And so it speaks it speaks of, you know, what they plant in their fields, first of all, you know, that because of their wickedness, they plant their crops, but uh, they really don't produce any, any grain to be ground into meal. And if it does yield, instead of them getting to eat it, the strangers, the invaders come in and they take it all away. And, uh, it also has a spiritual application that when we turn away from the Lord, uh, we don't uh, get spiritual food. We don't aren't nourished by the word of God. And, you know, even the word of God can be swept and taken away from us because, you know, it's happened in so many places where, you know, you're not allowed to, to gather together around God's word and read and study it. Uh, not allowed even to possess it in some some places uh, and so it can be taken away as well verse 8 says that israel is swallowed up speaking of its judgment in other words it's it's almost done god speaks of it as almost done it's determined uh, now shall they be among the gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure uh, in other words, as a, a pot that is useless. And he speaks of the children of Israel are going to be scattered among the nations and be counted as a worthless, a worthless people. Uh, for they are gone up to Assyria. Uh, in other words, they had turned to Assyria for help, and then Assyria comes and carries them away captive. Uh, they're compared to a wild donkey alone by himself. Uh, and it speaks of Ephraim hiring lovers, hiring those to help him. But 
Uh, it says, yea, though they have hired among the nations, uh, trying to buy friendships with, you know, promising, you know, and giving gifts and gold and the like, uh, God's still going to gather them. He's going to bring them, uh, he's going to bring his judgment upon them. They're going to be carried away as captives. And uh, they shall sorrow a little for the burden of the king of the princes. Uh, in other words, here it explains they're going to be diminished in number uh, by reason of the oppression that they suffer and all their great plans and hopes turn out just to the opposite. And uh, so they sorrow a little bit uh, because of it. And uh, it's not a godly sorrow. It's not, the, not that they have yet seen their sin and turned to the Lord. Uh, but they sorrow because they're taken away in their suffering. Uh, because Ephraim hath made many altars to sin, altars shall be unto him to sin. Uh, so he's practice idolatry and uh, this makes him guilty before the Lord God and uh, God says I have written to him the great things of my law and explains here you know the the word for Hebrew word for myriad or 10,000 is used in other words the the precepts the teaching of God's law reveals so many truths in uh, ways that the Israelites could keep his will. But it says here they were counted as a strange thing. Uh, they were looked at as foreign and uh, not something that anybody had any interest in doing. So they just ignored the word of the Lord. Speaks of them sacrificing flesh for the sacrifices of God's offerings and they eat it. Uh, so they offer their offerings. They eat of their offerings. Uh, but God doesn't look at it as acceptable to him, but just as if they slaughtered it uh, to eat. Uh, the Lord accepteth them not. And this has a lot to say to us today. You know, David points out when he repented of his sin in Psalm 51, and I know I have I've read this to you before, but in Psalm 51, where he acknowledges his sin to the Lord, uh, it says uh, toward the end of the psalm, verse 16, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And so what God's word teaches us uh, and what they were failing to see here is that they were going through the outward motions of sacrificing animals to the Lord, even though they didn't necessarily even know who the Lord was because they often spoke of the Lord as their idols. But they're going through the motions of sacrificing and eating of the flesh. But God says uh, he's not going to accept it. Uh, that he's going to remember their iniquity and visit their sins. So instead of forgiving their sins, because they were just going through the motions outwardly uh, and not turning to the Lord, that he would not accept it and he was going to remember their sins 
and visit or punish their sins. Uh, I think of Jesus' words where, you know, he speaks about uh, desiring, you know, we talked about this last time from Hosea 6, you know, Jesus told, told the Jews to look up what it meant that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Um, God would rather have us seek to obey his commandments than to simply go through the outward motions of, uh, I'll sin, I sin and I offer a sacrifice. Or today we would say, well, I can sin and then I'll just go to God and say, I'm sorry. And then he'll forgive me. And then I can just keep doing this, uh, sinning and looking to God for forgiveness and it'll all be okay. Uh, what God desires is that we truly be sorry for our sins and that we look to Jesus for mercy. And then with the help of God's Holy Spirit, uh, with his strength that we seek to amend our lives and live for him and not continue living in our old sinful ways. And when we do this and just go through the outward motions of, you know, going to confession or, you know, confessing our sins and hearing the absolution, uh, but we're not really sorry for them. God does not accept that uh, as true repentance. And God does not give us forgiveness of sins in the Lord Jesus. And that's probably one of the good things about uh, the new hymnal. It points out in there, uh, it replaces what I guess Walter took out uh, in the confession and absolution that the forgiveness is for those who repent and believe in the Lord Jesus and Walter change it to, you know, everybody's forgiven uh, in the way it's worded in the TLH. Uh, it says they, they returned to Egypt. Uh, speaking of Egypt, perhaps in a figurative way, they were once in bondage in Egypt in a foreign nation. Now they're going to go back into bondage. And why? Because Israel hath forgotten his maker. And he buildeth temples, uh, could be translated palaces as well. Uh, and Judah, Judah has multiplied fenced cities. In other words, they built up walled cities, uh, thinking that, you know, they're going to be able to defend themselves against all their enemies. And they were depending on themselves, their own strength, their own military prowess and their own walls. Uh, but God says, I will send a fire upon his cities. And he would do that, of course, by bringing in the the Assyrians and the invading armies, and it shall devour the palaces thereof. Again, a comparison to our time. Uh, our nation, in so many ways, is forsaking the Lord, and we depend on our military might and technology to you know, that nobody can do anything to us. Well, it doesn't matter how well armed we are, how much might we have, if we turn away from the Lord, uh, our enemies will uh, gain the upper hand and destroy us. I think of Isaiah in chapter 1. And there's a couple of things that relate to this. Uh, at verse 11, it says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lamb or of lambs or goats. 
When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. And he goes on to say at verse 15, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear your hands are full of blood. He says, wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And earlier it speaks of... uh, I'm trying to think if it's in this chapter. Maybe it's the next chapter. Can't remember for sure just where it is. I'm thinking it's here in in, uh, the first chapter of Isaiah. Uh, It speaks about that, uh, oh, it's right in in, uh, verses 2 and 3. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. And so they don't even recognize who it is who created them, who it is who led them out of Egypt, who it is who established them. Uh, nor do we recognize who it is that established our nation, who it is that gave us his word, who it is that brought us to faith. Uh, And we so easily and quickly turn away from the Lord. And so when men forsake and deny the Lord, they rely on their own ability and power instead. As it says here, the Lord destroys the fortresses of such a false confidence. For he is a jealous God and will not tolerate anyone but himself to be acknowledged as a supreme being in heaven and earth. And uh, in some ways, I think, you know, false pride or false confidence in oneself is kind of an invitation for God to show us that we cannot depend upon ourselves. Because God's goal is that we repent of our sinful ways and look to him for mercy and sad to say because of the darkness of our eyes as a result of sin uh, we often don't even see god's working uh, to make us aware of our own sinfulness and failings Uh, and so god's judgment uh, came upon israel just as hosea said i know none of this is or all of this is not very encouraging and especially when we see these same things going on, you know, among our own nation, among our own people, even among churches and among ourselves. And we have to even look at our own lives to see how we might be guilty of these things. The comfort that we have is that God did send his son to take our place under the law. and That our Lord Jesus Christ did pay on the cross the full penalty for our sins that when we repent and look to him for mercy, God will forgive all our sins and he will not bring them up again. Now he's, they're not going to be put before his eyes. 
he's not going to judge us and condemn us for them, uh, but he will rather forgive us and give us eternal life. And so all these warnings of Hosea are fitting for us to look at so that we repent and look to the Lord Jesus and trust in him alone for forgiveness and life. And of course, that was God's goal for Israel. It's why he sent Hosea, uh, not to just give them bad news, but to warn them so that they would repent. And that's why this book is so important for us today. I guess I'm not going to do chapter 9 today, so we'll save that for next time. Any questions or comments? If not, let's again bow our heads and, and uh, close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your law, for your law reveals to us what is good and right. From your commandments, we see what your will is for us. We thank you for the gospel, for in the gospel you tell us who have failed to keep the law in so many ways of your mercy and forgiveness in our Lord Jesus Christ, that when we look to him in faith, you forgive us and accept us as your dear children. We pray that we would not turn aside from your word, that we would not forsake you and trust in ourselves or other false gods of our own making, but that we would hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the truth of your word, that we would repent of our sins daily, that we would look to you for mercy and forgiveness, that we would seek your help and strength to amend our lives and live for you. And we pray for our nation that you would wake up our people to see that your judgment is coming if we do not repent, that we need to turn from our sins to the Lord Jesus for mercy. We again ask that you be with Richard, that you grant him health and healing uh, in accord with your will. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are welcome. You all have a good night. Good night. You're welcome.